Nicole kind of spoiled it. We're in our Holy Habit series. We're week three. So the first two weeks, we've talked about reading the Bible. We've talked about prayer. Those probably aren't shocking to you if you've come to church before and you're like, oh, what should Christians do? They should read the Bible. The Bible is the word of God. God has spoken to us. Of course, we should read. And then you, we talked about prayer last week. Like, oh, that we have a creator and he wants to hear us talk to him. Like, this just makes sense. Bible reading and prayer. And in many ways, they go together, right? Open your Bible. God speaks to you. Go to prayer. You talk to him. Two-way communication. It makes a ton of sense. But tonight, we're talking about fasting. And I think that is an unfamiliar holy habit. But on one hand, I want to say, I think most of us in this room are somewhat familiar with fasting. Like, how many of you guys have heard of fasting before? Raise of hands. Yeah, most of us. When I think about fasting, I mean, I went to school for diet and exercise, this like exercise, nutrition, intermittent fasting hit the scene about 10 years ago. People talking about it, whether it's a fad diet or whether it has real health benefits, up for debate. But, you know, hey, select a window, only eat for six hours of the day and then fast the other 18. There's intermittent fasting. I know of so many people that fast from social media and they cannot wait to tell you that they're fasting from social media. You ever seen that? Where it's like, by the way, guys, I'm taking a break from social media. And you're like, we won't miss you. Um, No. People that fast from social media tell the world about it. And then I grew up in small town Manson, Iowa. Has anybody ever heard of Manson, Iowa? Okay, let's go. Okay, Manson, Iowa. So one thing about Manson is it was, I don't want to say faith-filled, but it was like a lot of traditional religion and marked by a much older crowd. Like there weren't a lot of young people. And so when it came to this season of Lent, there was a lot of like religious observation of Lent. Like people saying, oh, I'm giving up something for Lent. Like many of my friends in school said, I'm giving up soda or sweet. By the way, you guys say soda or pop? Soda, hoo hoo, hot debate. Okay, we can fight about this later. Um, saying like, I'm gonna give up soda or sweets for Lent. And I'm like, why? And they're like, I don't know. It's just what we do. Or it's like, hey, we don't, we don't eat meat on Fridays. And I'm like, why? And they're like, I don't know. And so when it comes to, to fasting, I think there's one element of it where it's like, oh, fasting means taking a break from something. And we're like, sure, I get it. But I would argue, based on what we read in the Bible, that most of us are actually strangers to what God talks about when he says fasting, Not just what culture or the world around us says about fasting, not just what traditional religion tells us about fasting, but what God says to us about fasting in his word. And so, you could say that we are strangers to the idea of fasting in the way that God wants us to. And that should be problematic for us. Like, if the question is, hey, God has a way for you to fast, do you want to know about it? I think we should be saying, yeah, I do. So that's where we're going tonight. If you have a Bible, I want you to open up to the book of Matthew. We're going to spend the majority of our time in Matthew. We do have a lot of text to cover tonight, uh, but I'm just going to give you an idea of where we're going. We're going to talk about what is fasting, important to start there, and then answer the questions, why do we fast? And lastly, how do we fast? So 
Before we get into the why and the how, I want to just give you a quick definition of fasting. In the Bible, fasting is the practice of abstinence from food for the sake of seeking God. Okay? Abstinence from food for the sake of seeking God. This is not just not eating. There's more to it than that. We're going to talk about that later, but it's not just not eating. That sounds miserable. There's more to it for the sake of seeking God. But one pastor and author in Virginia by the name of Chris Davis uh, broadened his definition, and I think I like it. He said, it's not just abstaining from food for the sake of seeking God, but it's abstaining from anything that is good but distracting. Anything that is good but distracting. And he makes the case that this is actually in some ways a better definition for our culture because, let's face it, Compared to 2,000 years ago, there's a lot more distracting us today. There's a lot more competing for our attention. Sure, 2,000 years ago, they had their own issues. They had their own hobbies. They had their own things that maybe drew them away. I don't know if that was like playing chess or horseback riding or poetry reading. I don't know what it was. Um, They certainly didn't have smartphones, the internet, things like constantly buzzing in their pockets saying, hey, Give your life, give your attention to me, and we do. And so, I think this is good also because there's people that have health conditions where fasting from food is just actually not a good idea. I mean, if you're diabetic, like fasting from food is hard. Maybe you're like me and you have a history of eating disorders. I've talked about that publicly. Four years of eating disorders in my life. So this idea of, man, is there a, is there a health reason? Is there a mental health reason to say maybe I shouldn't choose food? Because food is like a very challenging area of my life. Uh, it's good that we have other options to say, hey, it's not just food. Now, I don't want that to be an out. If food is an option, I think the Bible... The only definition we have in the Bible is food. So it should be that if we can, but also beyond that, anything good but distracting. You guys know what I mean. Social media, right? To fast from social media, to fast from entertainment, Netflix, the internet, your smartphone, maybe fasting from like coffee or caffeine. I know several people that are doing that right now. They're not bad things, but they can distract us from God. And I do, I do want to say, this definition, anything good but distracting is really helpful because you can't come to me and say, yeah, I've decided to fast from complaining this month. I'm like, no, that's called obedience, <laughs> right? Like, that's not fasting. That's just following Jesus. You know, we can't just, oh, I'm going to fast from gossip this month. I'm going to fast from lust. I'm like, hey, that's a good idea. Do that for the rest of your life. How about that? So <clears throat> we good on what fasting is? Everybody clear? Sweet. Here's where we're going. Why do we fast? And I want you to look specifically in Matthew 9. So, Gospel of Matthew, we get a sweet account of Jesus' life here. And by the time you get to Matthew 9, Jesus has built an incredible following for obvious reasons. Right? This guy has taught the Sermon on the Mount, teaching with authority. He's been healing the sick, healing a paralytic. He spoke to a storm and the wind ceased. Like, he has clearly revealed himself as the son of God. And right before we get to tonight's text, he calls a man by the name of Matthew, who actually wrote this book, to be his follower. And this was an outrage. Matthew was a tax collector, which in their day and age is like the worst of the worst. You were a traitor. 
you went against your own people to support an oppressive government for the sake of your own wealth. And Jesus calls that guy, the traitor and the oppressor, to follow him. And he's now sitting with Matthew and his homies, and all the religious elite are starting to really ask questions about this Jesus. They're like, really? He is sitting with sinners and tax collectors? He is eating meals with them? Who does he think he is? And then, Matthew 9, starting in verse 11, it says, the Pharisees saw this, that Jesus was sitting with tax collectors and sinners, and they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the good news of the gospel, Salt Company, that Jesus did not come for the righteous, the religious elite, the people who really cleaned up their act to come to him. He came to the worst of the worst, to the broken, to those who recognize that they cannot save themselves. And so the religious elite, one of the questions that they need to know, why do we fast? It's not to earn your way to God. You cannot earn your way to God. And that is the best news on the planet. Not only that we can't, but that we don't need to. That Jesus came to us because we couldn't come to him. That's what we're celebrating this Holy Week. Tomorrow night, Good Friday, that Jesus would live the perfect life, and that he would be crucified, that he would take the wrath of God for us. He would take our place so that Sunday morning in his resurrection, when we say, my trust is now in Jesus, not in myself, that his righteousness becomes our own. That is good news. So certainly, we do not fast to earn our way to God. And there are certain religions around us, the Muslim faith right now, Ramadan, that they would say, hey, you have to observe fasting to please Allah, and if you don't, you need to go and make atonement for your sins. Christians, here's the good news. Jesus already made the atonement for your sin. So you don't have to go pay the price because Jesus paid the price for you. That is good news. <clears throat> but this leads into this text about fasting I want us to look closely at tonight. <clears throat> Very next verse, verse 14. Then the disciples of John, John the Baptist, came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. This is amazing. Okay, Jesus uses marriage language which if you read your New Testament, you understand that Jesus presents himself as a bridegroom and the church is the bride who has come to him. They're experiencing covenant relationship with the God of the universe. And he's saying, here's what's happened. For thousands of years, people have waited for their bridegroom to come. They have waited for a Messiah, a savior, somebody that can satisfy their soul. They have waited for him to come and now I'm here. It's like you've waited your whole life for your wedding day and you've made your vows and you've gotten married and then what happens? Boom! Someone comes and kidnaps your spouse. They just like come and rip them out and you're sitting there like, wait a second. I just got to experience the joy of marriage and the, the beauty of a Messiah and now he's gone. 
And Jesus is saying, this is when they will fast. This is when they will fast. Jesus is actually pointing to the fact that, hey, I'm going to come. I'm going to fulfill my role as Lord and Savior. I'm going to live. I'm going to die. I'm going to resurrect. And then I'm going to go to heaven. And this is going to create an inner longing amongst my followers that say, Jesus, we want you to come back. We want you to come back. We miss you. We want you to make things right. It's less about, you know, doing the right actions to clean ourselves up, and it's more about are our affections stirred? Do we actually want Jesus to come back? If so, it says we, the followers of Jesus, will fast. And I think it's so sweet that here at Veritas Church, we are in the midst of really two sweet seasons. The first is Holy Week. Right, that we're celebrating that Jesus has already come, he has already lived, died, and resurrected, and we could say, Jesus, you are good to us right now. And we're teaching through the book of Revelation where we're looking forward, end of Revelation, like new heavens, new earth, Jesus coming back, making all things new, wiping every tear from your eye, no more sickness, no more suffering, no more oppression, and we're like, Jesus, please come back soon. And that is exactly where we're at when you look at Matthew 9 and say, this is us. The bridegroom has come and now he's been taken away and we're waiting for Jesus to come back. And he says, they will fast. We long for Jesus' return. And so why do we fast? We fast because Jesus is gone. We fast because Jesus is gone and we want him to come back. And within that, I wanna talk through really two categories of fasting that we see throughout the Bible and better help us understand, these are different like circumstances or situations that would actually call us or compel us to fast. And this is not extensive. There is way more to fasting than I could ever talk to you about in a 35, 40 minute sermon, but I wanna just give you a few different ways that the Lord might compel you to fast in the coming weeks, months, and years. So the first section that we wanna talk about is dealing with the fact that life is hard. You could say, life is hard and we feel our need for Jesus. Or I would say, our world is too broken not to fast. Our world is too broken not to fast. Like brokenness is all around us. We sense this need for Jesus to come back and make all things new. I want to talk about three ways that we feel the brokenness around us. We feel the fact that life is hard. The first is grief, okay? Grief. <clears throat> there is uh, a text in 2 Samuel. We'll, we'll pull it up here on the screen in a second. But King Saul, his sons, and the tribes of Israel have gone to war. And the Philistines, the enemy of the people of God, have overcome them. 40,000 people killed in battle. And word comes to a guy by the name of David, who will eventually take the throne... But word comes to David, and in 2 Samuel 1, 11 and 12, this is what it says. Then David took hold of his clothes and tore them, and so did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan his son and for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. Like David and his men are just grieved. They are undone by the fact of death. And that is one of many ways we grieve, right? 
I mean, just a couple weeks ago, seven-year anniversary of my dad's passing, and it still affects me to this day. There's still grief to say, wow, death still has a void left in my life that my boys are growing up without a grandpa because he died. That hurts. That would be enough reason for me to say, man, what would it look like to fast and say, Jesus, please come back. I hate death. Second way is to express repentance of sin. How many of you guys are familiar with the story of Jonah? Okay, terrible prophet, let's be honest. Disobeys God, runs away. God told him to go to this people of Nineveh. By the way, they were so pagan, incredibly rebellious. They were like killing Christians and putting their heads on stakes as just like a way to mock the Christian faith. And God told Jonah to go to these people. He runs away. God doesn't give up on Jonah. He sends them back. It says, you know, God gave Jonah a second chance. And he goes to this people of Nineveh, preaches the worst sermon ever. I mean, it was five words in the Hebrew language, and it was only five words of judgment. In 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. And then here's what happens, Jonah 3, 5 through 8. The people of Nineveh believed God. It's like, what? That's good news for us evangelists, right? People that want to share the faith. You can't screw it up. All right. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the, the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself, good news, with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn away from his evil way, from the violence that is in his hands. It's not just saying, oh, fasting is repentance, but it's a way to come alongside repentance. This idea of I want to turn away from my sin and turn towards God. One way that you can stir your affections to hate your sin is on the tail end of sin to say, I am going to fast because I hate my sin and I want to love God more. To express repentance. And then lastly, to genuinely just feel the brokenness around us. To feel the brokenness around us. There's a guy by the name of Nehemiah. He got to be a part of, you know, the Jewish people returning from exile back into Jerusalem. But the problem was he looked out and he saw that though the Jewish people were back in Jerusalem, the city was still destroyed. It didn't have walls. There was no defense. And his heart broke because he said things are not the way they ought to be. And here's what happens in Nehemiah 1. They said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. That he just saw things were not the way they ought to be. And Salt Company, it is not hard to do this in our culture, right? Like, just last night, five people in southeast Missouri died because of a tornado. It's like, wow. I mean, not only a month ago, tons of kids at an elementary school in Nashville were shot up. It's like, there's brokenness around us. We don't have to look that hard to find it and to feel it. I mean, and for many of us, it's like, your friends, your family members, so many people that are far from God and are running to destruction. And you should just say, wow, my heart hurts because they're missing out on the goodness of God. 
this call to say, wow, we should just fast over the brokenness around us to get to feel a little bit of the pain that we actually know is there inside of us. So our world is too broken not to fast. But on the flip side, I want to say our world is too distracting not to fast. Or you could say life is good and we forget about our need for Jesus. We forget about our need for Jesus. So when life is hard, we feel our need for Jesus, but when life is good, we forget about our need for Jesus. That's just the sickness of the human heart, to be like, whoa, we could get so distracted by the things around us that we even forget our need for God. So I want to point to a few different texts here. Matthew 4, you've probably heard this one before. It says, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Like Jesus here in his fasting was like consecrating himself to God. He was setting himself apart. But in that statement, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Here's what Jesus is saying. I'm satisfied in God. I am satisfied in God. I don't need food to be satisfied. And so one way that we can express that we are satisfied in God more than anything else this life has to offer us is to fast. Sometimes it's helpful just to have a conscious reminder to say, hey, I'm going to fast to remind myself that food does not satisfy me, but God satisfies me. Social media doesn't satisfy me. God satisfies me. Netflix doesn't satisfy me. God satisfies me. Okay? Second way, Luke 2 There's this woman by the name of Anna. And man, I would just love to have her story. Like the only verses of her life that are in the scriptures are just so beautiful and uplifting. Here's what it says, Luke 2. This is when Jesus was dedicated at the temple. It says, there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She lived the majority of her life as a widow. She understood Matthew 9 right? That's crazy. She had a spouse, and now he's gone. And here's what she did. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. She used fasting as a way to say, this is going to spur me on to worship God. And I just have to say, we live in a day and age where we do not worship God. We worship so many other things. The Bible would call those idols. And we're, we're pretty quick to say, oh, I don't worship idols. You know, I don't carve any wooden statues and bow down to them. You're right. Yeah, you just find your identity and, and your sport or your academics. You find your security and how much money you make. You're trying to control your future by lining up the dream job or internship. Yeah. You don't have any idols, do you? No, we do. I'm with you to say, man, My belonging, where do I find my belonging ultimately? Is it popularity? Is it my marriage? For you guys, like, what's your belonging? Is it the friend group you belong to or is it Jesus? Where's your security? Is it in your bank account or is it in Jesus? Where's your identity? Is it in the school you go to, the grades you earn, the money you make, or is it Jesus? To say, no, when we fast, we're saying, God, I want to worship you. And that comes out of being satisfied in Jesus. All right, lastly, this text is, is weighty. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read through it. I'll explain it. 
This is in Isaiah 58. God is really like bringing the hammer down on the people of Israel. Here's what he says. He says, why have we fasted? This is Israel. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will, make, will not make your voice to be heard on high. God is telling them, hey, you're fasting to focus on yourself. I'm not going to listen to that fast. I'm not looking at that fast. If it's all about you, you're missing the point. Verse 6, is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh? He's saying, hey, fasting is a way to get your eyes off of yourself and onto the mission of God. If you're anything like me, it is so easy to go about your day from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed and never think about the mission of God because your eyes are only focused on yourself. And fasting is a way to say, no, I'm gonna take my eyes off myself. I'm gonna rob myself of a, a fleshly desire so that I can focus on the mission of God. I mean, several times in the book of Acts, look at Acts 13 and 14 and see how frequently the church of God begins to fast and pray that churches would be planted. They're saying, hey, I want to fast so that I can see the mission of God expand. So why do we fast? Man, we fast because Jesus is gone. And when I think about that, that first text in Matthew 9, when he's like, man, when the bridegroom is here, we don't need to fast. But when he's gone, we will. There's this reality of if Jesus' presence warrants a feast, his absence warrants a fast, right? And when you get to Revelation 19, you see the marriage supper of the Lamb. When we're back with Jesus, guess what? We're not fasting anymore. We're feasting. But in the meantime, we will fast. So now, now that we feel compelled enough, hopefully, to say, hey, we ought to be doing this, now the question is, how do we fast? So flip a couple pages back to Matthew 6. This is actually... Picking up on where we were last week, <clears throat> Michael taught right before this on prayer, and the warning is against practicing your own righteousness. Like, don't do these things to be seen by other people. In Matthew 6, it talks about giving, right? Like, don't give in front of people to make much of yourself, and then praying, don't pray in front of other people to make much of yourself, and now with fasting, same thing. Here we go, verse 16. And when you fast, note that it doesn't say if, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who is in secret will reward you. This is sweet, okay? How do we fast? First, do it. <laughs> really simply, here's how you fast. Do it. But... Not just that, okay? We fast as a way of encountering God. This is a means to an end. We don't fast just in the name of fasting. 
We don't just fast to skip meals and to go hungry and to get attention. We fast to focus on God, to seek God, to encounter God. And the good news of this text is you will, you will encounter God. And that means that fasting is more about what we do during fasting than it even does what we don't do. So many times when we talk about fasting, we talk about what we're giving up, but we're not talking about what we're doing in its place. And that's where we go wrong. We fast to encounter God. I mean, honestly, fasting without a focus on God just sounds miserable. Like, you're giving up something good for nothing. You're just going hungry. You're just going without a modern-day convenience for nothing. That sounds miserable. But much worse, oftentimes we can do this in the name of drawing attention to ourselves. We go hungry, and we can't help but tell people about it. We're the people that fast and then post it on social media, you know. And God is warning against that, Salt Company. He's saying, hey, if you're going to fast, here's the good news. You don't need other people to see you because I see you. The God of the universe sees you. So if nobody else does, that's a good thing. So I just got to say, you're probably not going to anoint your head with oil, but please wash your face. Right? Like, take a shower, put deodorant on, like, act like you would on a normal day, right? Don't wear it on your sleeve and don't wear it on your social media. Don't wear it in your attitude and don't wear it on your Instagram. Honestly, like, if you're going hungry and you get around people and you're just in a pissy mood and they're like, what's going on with you? And then you're like, oh fasting. It's like, come on, people. We're here to encounter God. We're not here to put on a show. And so I just want to say, when it comes to fasting and you're trying to pull away from food or doing something else that might distract you, replace it with something that helps you seek God. Don't replace it with more homework time more work hours, more time scrolling, right? Replace it with things that help you seek God. It's hard to come across a text in the Bible that talks about fasting that doesn't partner with prayer. That's a great place to start. So instead of your meal, pray. There's a lot you can pray for. If you're in a connection group, you probably already have 10 people you should be praying for. Pray for your family, Pray for your friends, pray for your campus, pray for your city, pray for the people on the other side of the world who have no access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pray. Pray for the brokenness in this world. Cast your cares on God because he cares for you. Also, read your Bible. Think about it. If you had this extra time that you used to spend at a dinner table and you can go dig into the New Testament and you can be like Jesus and say, hey, man does not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, how might that change you? I'm convinced you would encounter God differently. Make a playlist. Jam out to worship music. Go for a drive. Sing to Jesus. Pick up your phone and call and text other believers and say, hey, God brought you to mind. How can I pray for you? Pray for them on the spot. There's so many ways that we can encounter God. And that's the point. We fast to encounter God. And so, here's what you need to know tonight. Fasting the way God wants requires us to fast with God as the focus. 
Fasting the way God wants requires us to fast with God as the focus. And before we even get to how we start to apply this, I have to just say, the only way you can apply this is if you're satisfied in Jesus. That is the only way you can apply this. Like we talk about holy habits. These are not habits that make us holy. They're habits that we practice because Jesus is holy and he has made us holy. So if you want to be able to say, I want to rob myself, I want to become hungry, here's the only reason that you have the power to do that. Because Jesus has satisfied your soul. John 6, people chasing Jesus down after he's fed 5,000 people, tons of bread. They cross a sea to come to him and they're like, give us more bread. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. You keep eating that bread, you're going to be hungry again. Come to me and you will not hunger anymore. That's my invitation to you, Salt Company. Everything else in this life is going to leave you hungry for more. More food, more fame, more money, more success. Only Jesus can satisfy your soul. But if you say, okay, Jesus, you alone satisfy me. My right standing before God is not based on what I have done, but what he has done on my behalf. Here's how we can start to apply it. Find a rhythm of fasting. Find a rhythm of fasting. I step out of a personal training background and I say, hey, just like a good personal training plan, how do you start somebody in exercise? Start where you're at. Start small. Pick one meal one day a week. Maybe that's where you need to start. You don't need to do 24 hours. You don't need to do multiple days. You certainly shouldn't try 40. Bad idea. You are not Jesus, okay? But one meal once a week. Pick a lunch hour. And rather than going to a calf or going out and blowing your money at a restaurant, sit in your dorm room, sit in your car, pray to, pray to God, read your Bible, sing worship songs, encounter Jesus. And I think one thing that can really help us as we begin to say, I want to start to grow in this. Most of us have probably never done this. Do it with a friend. Do it with a friend. I read this quote. This week it says, just because we don't fast to be seen by others doesn't mean we can't fast with others. That's a good word. Like we don't fast to be seen by other people, but that doesn't mean you can't bring somebody else in on it with you. I mean, the majority of fasting that we see in our Bibles is communal. It's this idea of, hey, as a community, maybe as a connection group, you say, hey, let's figure out one hour a week that we can all fast, but we don't need to tell anybody else beyond us. Let's just fight for it with each other. Let's protect lunch hour on Wednesdays and start praying that God would move around us. And third, ensure you fast with God as the focus. Honestly, like that is fasting. Don't just skip the meal. Don't just log out of your social media. And don't tell people about it. Fast with God as the focus. You are not the focus. He is. So go into it with a plan. This idea of, hey, this is how I'm going to spend that hour. This is how I'm going to spend that time. I'm going to read through the Gospels. I have, you know, notes in my phone of people that I'm going to pray for and leverage that time to focus on God. And I, I honestly believe this, Salt Company. One of, one of the reasons we may not be seeing breakthrough in our own faith journey or maybe in the mission of God around us is perhaps because we're not fasting.
perhaps. I mean, when you see so many movements of God fall on the backs of men and women who have committed to fasting and praying for the gospel to go forward, you see what happens is they bubble up with joy because they've had a fresh encounter with God and they see God do amazing things around them because their prayer life is now strengthened because these people actually feel dependent on God. They're not just talking about being dependent on God. They feel dependent on God. They're brought low in a way that makes God work in tremendous ways through them. It's not that we maneuver the hand of God. It's, he's saying, when you would humble yourself and when you would get low and when you would actually cast your cares on me, when you would feel your need for me, when you get weak, I'm going to show my power. And honestly, I think if a room like this can start applying this, we have no idea, absolutely no idea what we could see God do. It is beyond your wildest dreams or expectations to say, wow, let's be a people that just say, God, I want to take you at your word. Jesus, I want you to come back and you're not here, but man, I want you to be. So one time a week, I'm going to rob myself of a meal or a modern day convenience and I'm going to cast my cares on God and see what he's going to do. So I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to set up a time for us to have extended time in prayer during worship, but I want to pray out of the message. I'll set us up for that. Father God, um, it's just amazing. Even as I think about this text in Matthew 4, Jesus, that you would become hungry so that we as the people of God might never hunger again. It's amazing that you would put on flesh, that you would live, that you would die, that you would rise again, and that you would do that for the worst of the worst, for the sinners and the tax collectors, for the filthy, for the people that had nothing to do with you. Jesus, you lived and died and resurrected to make them new and to satisfy their souls. And so, God, I pray that you would satisfy us tonight, that we would long more and more for you to come back and make all things new, and from that place that we would be obedient to you and that we would fast, humble ourselves, seek your face, God, and as a result that we would get to see amazing things done, not for our name, not for the name of Salt Company, not for the name of Veritas Church, not for the name of Cedar Rapids, but for your name alone, God, that you would be glorified in our city and to the ends of the earth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.